Having been called into the manager's office and asked to close the door, it's episode 9 of Touching Base, a podcast from Baseball Softball UK. I'm Luke Stott. Today marks the first day of UK Coaching Week, and to celebrate, this week's Touching Base podcast features not one, but two current GB head coaches. Representing GB Fast Pitch, we have Rachel Watkeys, and Liam Carroll joins us from GB Baseball. Together, we discuss stealing ideas, the benefits of being the dumbest person in the room, and knowing when to shut up. This is the Touching Base Podcast, and it begins right now. Okay, so I'm joined today by uh, Head of GB Baseball, Liam Carroll, and Head of GB Fast Pitch Softball, uh, Rachel Watkins. Uh, Rachel, uh, just to start with you, can you give us some background on your career and achievements as a player before you began coaching? Yeah, um, I started playing Fast Pitch in Australia when I was seven, and I guess I played every summer of my life and quite a few winters until I moved back to the UK. Um, and then uh, after a couple of years out of the game, Um, got back into it in London and then ended up um, progressing further than I ever thought. So in Australia, I played A grade and I played for my my representative um, association as such, um, which was a very good level, um, but it wasn't anywhere near what I've been able and lucky enough to compete at in the UK. So when I moved here um, and they discovered I had a British passport, then I, I represented Great Britain as a player from 2009 until 2011. So I was lucky enough, well, not luck, you make your own luck, but I was um, I was grateful enough to be on the, a, a team that won a silver and a bronze medal at Europeans and qualified us for the World Championships in Venezuela. And I was part of the team that qualified for the, the World Championships in Canada, but I chose to retire and focus my attentions elsewhere, including coaching um, in, after the 2011 season. Um, so yeah, I guess that's my my key achievements. The, the things I'm most proud of occurred as I got much older. Um, mm. I kind of bucked the trend um and did all the really really cool stuff when i got much older okay and why do you think that uh, what do you attribute that to um i think that as i got older i got wiser as they say i think i i, I became a better athlete i knew what my body needed i knew I'd, I'd studied a lot through my sports science degrees and my background i understood how my body worked i knew i, I was just able to better organize my time to train harder and i also think i mentally got much stronger as I got older. I never thought I was a particularly strong athlete in terms of mentally, but I think I stopped focusing on the small things. If I made a mistake, perhaps 10 years earlier, I would have put my head down and got frustrated. As I got older, I was like, nope, give me another one. Give me another one. And I'd come home black and bruised um, until I got it right or as close to right as I could possibly get it. So, um, and I also think I was just uh, probably a bit of luck being in the right place at the right time. Um, being in the UK where the sport is quite small, having the opportunity playing socially with the GB coach, um, all of those things, you know, they just fall into your favour. And I was uh-huh. lucky, yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm particularly interested to hear about um, the sort of short-term memory that you've developed. I know um, with a lot of elite athletes, they really do um, value this ability to take a rep uh, regardless of outcome, learn from something, take the next rep, take the next rep, take the next rep, take the positives and leave the negatives and be able yeah. to reset really quickly. Yeah, uh, and I find I find now as a coach, 
I'm even getting, like I still play socially softball and I'm better at it again now. I think because of having to get athletes to do it all the time, you know, improve, make an adjustment, improve. I want them to do it. So I'm being kind of that re- repetition is helping me even as a, a social player. Yeah, for sure. And so uh, turning to you, Liam, um, how did your playing career prepare you for uh, a life in coaching? Well, uh, I, I think in that I learned very quickly I wasn't a very good player and I should probably coach. It, it educated me quite quite uh, a lot. Um, I think the interesting thing listening to, to Rachel is um, my, my career ended in, in the early 20s and I think back to, well, if I only knew now what I knew or if I only knew then what I know now and that whole idea of youth being wasted on the young, um, would I have would I have been better? Should I have continued playing? Um, but ultimately, um, as much as I was fortunate to play for the national team program, uh, fortunate to play in a European championship in 2003, uh, I think that my skill set is far more suited to, to coaching than playing. And I think the, the gift I can give to British baseball far bigger as a coach than a player. So while I do have regrets that I, I gave it up in my early 20s, I, I think and I hope that it's been better for British baseball that I did. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's quite interesting that you say you retired in your early 20s. That's the path of a, a lot of um, players once they leave the collegiate system in the United States. Um, I know some uh, go through into independent ball for a lot of people. That's the end of the line. And relatively few of those players that do choose to retire at that point actually decide to go back into the sport as a coach. Um, so I was just wondering what prompted you to make that particular decision? There's so many interesting things here, and and uh, a sort of an aside is is just how unique the British baseball and softball community is mm. with people continuing their careers uh, in baseball and fast pitch beyond the college ages, as, as you said, Luke, and then how slow pitch is an entry point to so many players, as opposed to what's next for players uh, most most typically in the U.S. Mm. Um, so it's just kind of an interesting aside that you've reminded me of. Um, in terms of in terms of me, um, I think that um, I'd always been inspired to give back, um, and I don't know that that message is relayed quite so much anymore. Um, that's why for me one of the things I love to see is players that I've coached give back. Um, but there was something that was just hammered into me, and to, um, perhaps a message that that myself as a coach and other coaches need to need to hammer a little bit more these days Mm. i agree yeah yeah i think it's um it's very interesting we're talking about the legacy um and people giving back and passing on to the next generations i was having a conversation with um an athlete of mine yesterday uh talking about styles of coaching um and he's been coached by a number of different people in a number of different sports and the conversation boiled down to as a coach, you tend to want to become the coach you wish you had um, when you were an athlete or a player. And I was wondering if you both felt a similar way that you model your coaching philosophies on, uh, you know, who have you modeled your particular uh, styles on? Uh, have you tried to address things that you felt you didn't quite uh, get enough of as younger players? Um, I think for me, yeah, I I know I definitely knew coming in coaching. I'd coached in Australia as you know as a teenager, coached little ones and and whatever. But I knew what I didn't want to be. I knew mm. exactly what I didn't want 
to do. I'd been yelled and screamed at in the past, belittled, made to feel useless, blamed when things went wrong. And I knew I never wanted to be that coach. Mm. Um, I think that in terms of who I model my coaching on, it's really interesting when I speak with baseballers and lots of fast pitchers, they, they model themselves on, you know, obviously well-known famous American um, coaches, whether it's baseball or basketball or whatever. But for me, growing up in Australia, it's it's looking at coaches that I've seen through Aussie rules and rugby league and rugby union, so completely yeah. different games. Um, yeah. uh, and I think the, the best coaches I had, and I, as, a, as a sports therapist working with elite-level athletes, the best ones I had were ones who still brought the joy and the passion to the game, that, that still loved the game. Um, and were good educators, good teachers. I think the reason actually I'm a teacher in my day job is because of lots of the coaches I had growing up. They made me want to learn why and how and, and, and you know, why we were doing certain things. Um, but, mm. yeah, I think it was, uh, and I still, God, I'm still learning so much. It's just, it's frightening, how, how you know, to think about how much you've, there's still to learn. Most, you know, some coaches out there know so much. <laughs> um, but I know what I don't want to be. And I sometimes get told by players that maybe we should yell more or scream more or that we're not passionate enough. But I just, mm. I'm not that kind of human being. I'm not a yeller and a screamer um, on the field. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think the coaches should be allowed to be who they are um, if it works for them and works for the players. Um, then, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. They, um, there's definitely an element of performance when it comes to coaching I yes. think it's some people they they want to be seen to be to be loud and be vocal because to them that is intrinsic to what a coach does yes. um I think increasingly we approach it from a more cerebral perspective yeah. um I'd, yeah I'd prefer to be a bit like an umpire seen and not heard you know yeah. let, the, let the players they're the stars of the shows let them do their thing and you just direct traffic and give them the credit uh, you know, I, I would prefer, I've always preferred to be that kind of coach. I don't want to be the center of attention, the one that everyone's talking about. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, Liam, what's your perspective? Well, I think th there's a critical difference between modeling um, a style, um, which I think can be, can be dangerous uh, if, if a coach loses their authenticity. And I think I was guilty of that as a younger coach of wanting to be like the, the most impactful coaches on me and it's okay within reason. Uh, but I think players will, will smell you out if, if you're not being authentic. Um, mm. So the critical difference between modeling style and modeling method uh, and um, I'm struggling to find words for this, but the coaches that, that have helped us to, create our own why and and the broader impact than than teaching players skills and and drills and the x's and o's and i think the most successful coaches and something i'm striving to do more every year is to model uh, the methodology and model the the deeper impact of those that have impacted me and those that i continue to meet uh, on a quest to improve as a coach and and just copying and trying to be like coaches not that they weren't successful some of the coaches that impacted me uh, early on, I just still look up to so much, um, but I can't be them. Uh, and I think, like I mentioned, any any time I try and or find myself being more like someone else, I think players probably sniff it out. Yeah, I think as you're fond of saying, style is personal, technique is universal. You got it. There you go. It's, it's another ABCA. I steal a lot from the ABCA. I think coaches do copy and steal everything. Another one that I'm stealing from a fellow podcast host uh jeremy sheetinger who hosts the abca podcast he always says that 
um, be prepared to take feverish notes and I'm already in note taking mode listening to you guys here today. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah, I, I love talking to coaches that are far more experienced than I am. Um, not just to find out sort of technically what you're doing day to day with your players, your athletes, but how it all fits into a greater model, a greater method. Um, you know, we can get really granular and talk about periodization, um, which is something that's starting to be used in baseball and softball. Mm-hmm. Um, we can talk in about biomechanics, specific things. But I think today we're we're looking at the general overarching coaching philosophy. So if your coaching was in a box, what label would that box have? attached to it so i'm just curious uh just starting with you rachel um what three things do you think define your coaching philosophy what make you who you are as a coach um good question on the box i i, I like to think um enjoyment and that doesn't mean laughing and joking but loving the game a passion for the game um yeah. i um keeping things simple the game is fast and the game is complicated, but I think if you keep it simple, then then you can't go that far wrong. And I suppose accountability. I think as a coach, I want to be accountable for my actions and I'm always willing to take the blame um, if I make a wrong decision or whatnot. But I think as athletes, making sure that they're accountable, I like to have, there's a very athlete-centred, but at the same time, recognising that um, we're a team. Mm. One, one team of, of everyone involved and if any little thing goes wrong in that team then it can have a, a wider impact on everyone else so yeah I think fun and enjoyment um, accountability and that concept of a team being um, so important and mm. um, yeah would be two big things for me yeah I think I had a, a, fair, a long conversation on a previous podcast with uh, Shia Louis mm-hmm. um, about uh, our baseball and softball individual sports wrapped up yeah. in team clothing yeah. and um it, it's very interesting how um even uh, you know if, if it's a total team sport in someone's eyes there are these clear individual matchups and individual yeah. decision making completely but i mean i've had teams where one season they've played as individuals and mm-hmm. we haven't been successful and in other years exactly the same group of girls who have played as a team and that you can mo- there's so much more you can do together than what you can as an individual because you can lift and and you can motivate and encourage and it's infectious mm. um yeah um i don't even know it was probably craig montevitas who was one of the coaches um who i've worked with a lot and and watched a lot and you know one bad throw leads to another and yes. I try and flip it and be that positive of one good throw leads to another as well. If everyone's yeah. doing something well, it lifts you to want to do better. And so as much as I, I, I listen to that podcast and I agree, there are so many elements that are individual. Um, mm. There is also, you cannot play without each other. You've got to have everyone there. And that includes all of the staff that support the athletes and their parents and their supporters, making sure everyone's on the same page. And that's a huge part of, you know, a coach's job is to try and keep everyone focused on the goal of the team. Because so coming back to kind of one of those things that I learned as I got older is if I was so busy focused on me, then mm-hmm. I forgot about the, the 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 greater good of the team. So if I didn't have a great at bat in my eyes, then it, I wasn't contributing. But if I'd pushed a run around or put a sack bunt down or you know gone deep in a count or whatever it might have been, actually those things help my teammates. Um, yeah, and in some way, shape, or form, and it's finding all those things. So yeah, 
Yeah, and I find that very, uh, I think along a similar way is I'm trying to set myself individual goals or set my my players individual goals that fit within the team dynamic. Yeah. So it's it's setting a tone. Um, what is a successful at bat? Um, yes. that changes depending on the yeah. scenario yeah and um, the, the coaches conference this year I took so much from that I mean I just took so many notes but a huge bit was about that quality at bats what is a quality at bat and we are actually going to develop a way of charting that um, yeah. I'm not a huge statistics fan you can manipulate numbers as much as you like um, but stuff like that like that helps someone go actually I did have a good day it wasn't perfect but it, it contributed I helped my team win yeah, um, I may not have put the ball sure. over the fence. I may not have even hit. I might have gone over, but everything I did helped in some way. So, yeah, definitely. And I think Liam, like GB Baseball, have um, a program that sits on quality at bats. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think the the broader piece for us is is trying to have everyone feel like they're contributing to the mm-hmm. success of the team. Um, and, and from the national team level, our, our playing philosophy is to uh, win by winning the free base war, uh, yep. which are battles for 90 feet, walks, errors, hit by pitch, uh, things like that. And then having a quality at bat percentage, uh, 55%. Um, and we know that when both of those things happen, we win at a very high clip, like 70, mm. 80%. And that's across our program, across age groups. And um yeah you can't predict baseball um but we do know that if we can if we can have quality at bats then we're going to have a lot of success and um the beautiful thing taking it to i think every every type of involvement in the sport is is especially in this country where we might only play once a week and more by the traditional sense um or maybe i don't come back next week um whereas if if we can reframe what success means and I went over four but three quality at bats or just one quality at bat that helped lead to a big run and if players can understand that which will only happen with good maybe more people enjoy baseball and softball more often which well while we are concerned with the the national team thing we one of the things that I dare I say one of the things that sucks about national team coaching is we hardly ever see our players so doing other stuff too like coaching baseball and slow pitch helping players that went 0 for 4 realize actually you help the team win because you move the runner even though you're out I think is one of the beautiful parts of coaching and that concept of baseball and softball being a a game of failures well (laughs) it depends what you define as a failure because you can again not have a, a you might go over but every time you've done something that isn't a failure it's actually been huge and changing that whole concept of failing because people hate to fail especially with kids they hate to fail yeah <laughs> and and if that's the focus is oh you didn't get on you're not it wasn't a good at bat then we've got to change it somewhere because people don't want to feel like they're failing every minute of every day when they're playing that's not fun I was um, reading a book uh, by Ben Lindbergh and Sam Miller, uh, Baseball Spectus and Fangraphs, um, called The Only Rules It Has to Work. And within that, they were talking about how to create um, opportunities to win that aren't reliant on the final score. So if you're if if you're on a team that is rebuilding um, and a team that is going to be outclassed on that particular day, how do you create fun and a challenge for yourself mm-hmm. if the final score is kind of predetermined? And, and it's just finding those small, um, 
those small wins um, yeah like winning this particular pitch and you know going up and so I'm going to try and see six pitches in this bat unless I see an absolute cookie and I'm not going to miss it yeah and And we have that with the girls playing in the GBFL because the competition's not particularly challenging it's like you've got to pick something to work on you have to pick something to win because you're going to win you know that but you know work on something yeah sure um and it's just occurred to me, Liam, I didn't actually ask you uh, what your what the three things are that you feel define your coaching philosophy. It is a great question. I, one that I'm glad I didn't have to go first on. Um, <laughs> um, you know, it, it is something that I struggled with when I got into the national teams um, with, a, I think, a, a somewhat grounded outlook, but ultimately, as I've reflected on it, not helpful outlook that the be all and end all at the international level is winning and, and it should just be about winning and, and at the sacrifice of other things. Um, and I'm glad that more recently I've got back to the same sort of philosophy I had before I was involved, uh, certainly as the, as the boss within the national teams program. And it boils down to wanting to help people reach the maximum of, of their abilities um, and trying to do that with, Certainly with a, a framework, I do like structure, but providing flexibility within that framework, um, having a balanced methodology, um, trying to coach caution out of, not into um, our athletes. Mm. Um, and then what that looks like in the end, hopefully, is players that become the best they can be on and off the field. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I think I'm really focused on that we're, we're coaching human beings here, people, not yep. just mm-hmm. players. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely know that from my uh, my career, it's taught me a innumerable number of uh, life lessons um, because ultimately sport is like this cipher for life in general. And it's like this Petri dish where we can experiment and we can learn and we can fail and succeed in a safe environment and then take those lessons out into our future lives. Um, and I find that really rewarding personally. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving on to that, um, Liam, what's your greatest achievement, do you think, in coaching to date? You know, it's, it's a question I really don't like. Um, <laughs> um, I think uh, it's, it's hard not to look at the events for which we've received the most coverage, uh, mm. like the World Baseball Classic qualifier. But ultimately, we, we didn't win. We came second. Um, mm. And, and while we, we had a, a very big win in that event, um, we didn't win the tournament. Uh, and, and it's frustrating to look back on it, given how much more exposure uh, and financial reward, quite frankly, that one more win and qualifying would have done. Um, so the, I've alluded to this before, the thing I really do enjoy seeing uh, especially at the moment in what I think are quite challenging times for, for British baseball, uh, are seeing the players that I've coached give back, um, especially have, having said earlier, I don't think there's enough that are doing it. Um, whether or not they coach the same thing that I've coached them over the years, uh, just I think it's critical for the success of British baseball that those who I've been fortunate enough to coach in the last 15 years are giving back um, and I think uh, to kind of frame that better, if I think to my time on the, on the junior national team, um, there's really not that many that are involved in any capacity. Uh, and then that's from national teams all the way down to just being involved in coaching at the club level or still playing. I can really only think of myself and 
um, the magnificent Will Lynchern as best <laughs> uh, So I think if the more I see that players I've coached, however long their career in the national team has lasted, are, are involved coaching kids, coaching adults, um, then that gives me tremendous hope and, and it does give me some satisfaction. Yeah, for sure. And I think the seeing someone um, progress from athlete to coach and having sort of helped them along that journey is probably the most satisfying thing that I've personally found in um, in coaching for me. Uh, Rachel, uh, what do you think your greatest achievement to date has been in coaching? It's really very, very similar. It's so easy to say, you know, last year we we finished third at the Europeans, qualified for the World Championships. On paper, that looks like, you know, the best achievement that we've had in a long time in women's in fast pitch but um and it is but like I said I that's the credit to the players we just directed traffic um mm -hmm. I think what I'm really proud of is my role in helping to steer the women's fast pitch program towards a really professional um respected program we go internationally and we are well respected now um not that we weren't before but you know through the juniors um knowing that we're we're a we're a team that comes to compete but we have fun the fact that we are known internationally um as as good teams team like as in terms of uh, sportsmanship we we're good to the umpires we're good to our opposition um and i'm really proud of that that we have a really good reputation i'm proud of the fact that now it's an even playing field everyone trials everyone has equal chance of making it. We're accepting of any application. Um, the program is now really big. We have people contacting us all the time who want to play. I'm also proud of the fact that that's made our British-based athletes better. Mm. Um, I think that they've had to step up their game tremendously in the last five or six years because the competition coming from um, passport holders from all over the world is now huge. And I don't necessarily always see that as a bad thing. There, I have my concerns, of course, but I, I love the fact that our British girls are now moving. They're moving to play softball and they're doing yes. a great job. And I love that. And they are doing such a good job. Um, yeah. One of one of the British-based, well, British-born and bred, Amy Hutchinson, she's trialling at the moment for a new school to finish her two years, her last two years of school. And um, Tina, who's our pitching coach for the women's and for the U19s, just said she's so much stronger and better than the other athletes trialling. And it's like, yes, that's awesome. And she's got this beautiful British accent and she's putting the world on notice that we are good softball players, really good softball players. And I'm really proud of that. And, of course, it's really nice to see kids like Sean and Chelsea giving back, organising teams in the GBFL, coaching, being part of national teams as coaches, like Liam says, that's such a nice thing because, like him, there are very few people giving back. And my big reason for getting into it was I got a lot, so much from softball. I want to give back. I think it's the best game in the world and I want other kids to enjoy it. And um, so I think the, the actual achievements, the medals, the placings, all of that is such a small part of the achievements in softball that I think that as a coach I've contributed towards. Um, really, it's, I suppose, as Liam says, you get the most coverage from it, but actually it's, it's kind of like the cherry on the top of the cake. All the other yeah. things are more important to me. Yeah, and like, I'd always thought the same thing that I think the results are always nice, um, yeah. and they they do need to come eventually. Mm -hmm. But it's probably the least thing that you you hang your hat on as a coach. Um, I'm always far more interested in getting players to the next level, um, yeah. and players being able to look back on where they were at the start of their journey to where they are at that particular day, 
and said, yeah, I'm better than mm -hmm. where I was for all of these reasons. And for yeah. me, that's that's what it's about. And yeah. as you say, give, getting them into position to give back to the sport uh, is, as a player, as an umpire, as an organizer, as a coach, um, as an ambassador mm -hmm. for the sport. Yeah, that, that's and, incredible. To me. And I think Liam kind of hinted to it is whether these players are going on and getting better or, or being better humans, being better athletes, being better coaches because of something we've taught them or because of something that we haven't taught them that's motivated them to go, you know what, or they didn't, you know, I think there's so many ways in which players can use the, the influence that you have on them, in, you know, to get better. Um, I think that's also an important thing. It's not always about the technical stuff that you've taught. Sometimes it's just about being a good team's uh, teammate or being someone who's good to coach. Coachable athletes are employable adults, you know. Um, yeah. You you said that about making life skills that you take, you know. I'm competitive as hell at work with myself because of softball, yeah. um, which means that you give me anything and I will get it done. Even if it kills me, I'll get it done. <laughs> that's only come from softball. hasn't come from anything else. So. Yes, um, athletes are, are masochists. Yeah. <laughs> Just Absolutely, are. yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I say, Liam, you were going to say something. I wasn't this time. I'm just. I'm taking. <laughs> I'm, I'm continuing to take feverish notes. Uh, you guys remind me of um, the legendary, the late and legendary Augie Garrido, until recently winningest coach in college baseball history. Who, who said that the world treats winners a lot differently than it treats mm -hmm. losers. And it's a little bit controversial, but I think it's true. And mm -hmm. I think it's, it's not necessarily in career wins that players might have, but as you guys have, have said uh, so well in the last couple of minutes, just the, the lessons out of sport, I would count them as, as being a, a winner. I think most athletes are winners, uh, even if they've not been fortunate to be on teams that have captured lots of trophies. Um, that all said, I do think the, the success of the, uh, the fast pitch team is incredible. And I will hope to be in uh, Holland in September for the, the oh, Super Six great. and hope that <laughs> in the next couple of years we can catch up with you. Yeah. No, I hope so too. Mm -hmm. I think it benefits all of us. Moving on to personal development um, and how we're going to bring the national teams forward, um, as well as how you both improve your own individual skill sets. Uh, so how do you go about developing yourself as a coach? Because you are both at the pinnacle of domestic coaching. So where do you look um, when you need advice? And when you, when you have questions, who do you turn to? Um, for me, I would turn to my fellow coaches. I'm um, the staff that I have around me are there because they are excellent at, at, at what they do, in particular certain areas of what they do, things that are my weaknesses, so I look to them. I, I watch and I read a lot. Um, I observe. I, I, I try and ask questions where I can, and I look to other sports a lot. Um, just a couple of weekends ago at softball, one of the players, her... Her partner is involved in a in a high level within English hockey um, for video analysis, and I was kind of poor thing. I wish she hadn't. You know, she probably wishes she never told me. But I then <laughs> captured her for an hour and <laughs> picked her brains, yep. and and we're gonna get together, and she's gonna show me how she does it because this is what she is doing more and more so for English hockey, um, and such a transferable thing and being lucky enough to go to one of the female coach connectivity events um, through BSUK earlier in the year and that was the same just listening to other people from other sports and and stealing ideas and concepts and trying to work out how you could use them where you are but I mean 
there's so much to learn every day. There's always more and more and more. I love this time of the year because it's like Olymp, you know, like Christmas for softball. Um, I'm sure I don't know about baseball, but you know, it's all over ESPN. It's there's so much going on that I can watch and and learn from, and I learn from my players all the time as well. Um, chat to them, find out how they do things, how their college coaches do things, um, and and steal where I can. I think you know we're master thefts in some respects. All teachers um and coaches do the same thing. Yes. True. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, they say well, good good writers create bad, great writers steal. Absolutely. Uh, you know, William Plagiarism Shakespeare. Plagiarism <laughs> with a bit of a, um, with some citations. <laughs> exactly. It? It's all fine. As long as it's cited, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's being Yeah. <laughs> imitation, the sincerest form of flattery. Um, I've, I've got quite a few sort of uh, people that work in medicine, and the general refrain is five years out of med school. Uh, you know about as much as a brand new med school graduate because the field has moved on Absolutely. so much in that particular time. And yep. it is the same with, oh, well, the fundamentals of training and coaching and the game remain the same. How we interpret them and how we push them on to our players and teach them, um, that does change dramatically. Yep. Um, like, Lynn, how do you how do you cope with that? How, who do you turn to when you have uh, questions and want to take your coaching forward? I think I think you're you're both spot on. And when I had a surgery on my shoulder uh, a few years ago, I was very glad that the surgeon was current and not using uh, <laughs> centuries-old surgery methods. And and yeah. I think there are there are coaches that are are coaching things that are decades old, and it can be dangerous. Um, and yeah. and you know what? It's not necessarily that you have to be completely current, but at least at least aware of and researching and and well, okay, I'm going to research this, whether it's reading a book or going online, because there is some good stuff on the internet, um, or going to a conference and deciding, you know what, it's not just for me. It's it's just not for me. Um, personally, um, it, it's much of the same thing that, that Rachel's talked about. It's the relationships, um, the the thing that I've loved in, in the last uh, few years is is the addition of the BSK Coach Summit. Um, it's made it a lot easier to, to have a, a world-class event um, that's accessible for so many more people. Um, because as much as I'd love to go to the EBCA convention, it's not always a guarantee because you're probably going to have to get get on a plane and it's mm -hmm. not guaranteed that I'll be able to go to the ABCA convention every year. Um, as much as those things are all wonderful um, and, and I think uh, integral to my own development and the development of any other coach, the thing that I think is most impactful on me uh, and it's trying to be creative, as I mentioned, just with the national teams, we're not together very often. Yeah. So being creative, it, the most important thing is, is by doing just as it is for, for our athletes. And I, I'd like to be coaching as much as possible, regardless of the environment. I think you can actually learn a lot more uh, from time to time, coaching different levels, um, different sports um, than, than my own. So the most important thing for me is by doing. And you've both had uh, relatively long careers. We've had very long careers within the sport itself, both as a player and a coach. Um, and we've kind of touched upon this in part, in various parts throughout this podcast. And I was just wondering, what advice uh, do you wish you'd had when you were first starting out, um, first as a player and then as a coach? Yeah. Uh, where to start? Um, as, as a player, good luck, coach. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Oh, wow. I think, I think 
you know what, I was, I was, it was pumped into me from a certain age uh, along the strength and conditioning lines. Um, mm-hmm. And I wish I'd bought into it more, quite frankly. Um, uh, but at the same time, it, uh, how far strength and conditioning has moved on compared to mm-hmm. what I was coached. Um, and the thing that I was uh, advised back then, uh, no coach is going to advise anymore. Um, I think uh, mm-hmm. ultimately uh, I, there was probably not much, too much hope for me. The biggest thing I need to do, quite frankly, as a player was play more games. Uh, the players yeah. now in the UK that play more in a year than I would I used to in five years. So great for the British-based player, but even even then we know that players acro- mm-hmm. across Europe and certainly in the United States and, and Japan are, are playing more games in, in a year than our players are in their lifetimes. So mm-hmm. as a coach, it's a much more important question, I think, uh, that I can shed light on and the, the simple answer. Um, I would tell myself to shut up. Um, I think uh, I always had, a, I was fortunate with the, the impact I had from certain coaches to have a very questioning style. Um, but even though I was asking lots of questions as a young coach, there were times where I would be talking too much, never with any uh, malicious intent. Uh, I don't think any coach ever is trying to make their players worse. Um, but it would be that activity where you could probably put a stopwatch on me as a young coach. Uh, and over the course of, let's say, an hour-long session, the players wouldn't be active anywhere near as long as they should be. So mm-hmm. advice to, to me as a young coach and possibly to other young coaches. And you know what? For that matter, some older coaches too. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I've, I've found that. I have, um, when I coach, I'll say I have an hour and I want my players to touch the ball 200 times, 300 times in a session. Um, because I think for me, that's my that's my yardstick that I use. So if, they, if, if a session's worthwhile, it's the number of times they've touched the ball. And if I realize that I'm taking over the session and I'm hearing my voice far more than I'm hearing gloves popping or bats being swung, I need to shut up and take a step back. Um, so it's very interesting advice. And I'm dying to use sh- Lee and Carol says shut up as the podcast title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, so Rachel, um, Yes, uh, same question to, to you. Uh, what advice do you wish you'd had when you were starting out as a player and also as a coach? Um, I think as a player, advice is, um, I, again, it comes back to the mental aspect of the game, it's just to toughen up. Like, you know, making a mistake isn't the end of the world. It's how you respond to it. And, you know, t- typical teenage girl just, you know, dropping my head and, feeling useless doesn't help anyone anywhere and I really wish now I'd look back and I wish I'd enjoyed it more in that respect I wish I just loved it more because you retired a long time Mm. or you're old a long time (laughs) therefore nothing works as I have so much more fun now when I play and I really wish I'd had fun for all of those years because I'm sure there were times when I hated the game um and I and I uh, yeah I wish I'd look back now as a player and just had more fun again fun doesn't mean joked around or mucked around fun just meant enjoyed it Um, From a coach point of view, I think Liam alluded to it before. I think when I first started, I I tried to model myself perhaps on other people because I thought that was the way to do it. I thought I had to know everything. But actually, as I've gotten older, I realised no one can ever know everything. Um, And when you listen to good coaches, they're often, they only ever talk about the same thing because that's what they're passionate about. So I think it's find your area that you love and get good at that and then get good people around you to do all the rest 
yeah get get other staff who who compliment you for your weaknesses so you know rather than trying to pretend i i knew everything get other staff and go they're the expert like at work i wouldn't try and teach chemistry i can't i don't know enough so rather than pretending i get a chemistry teacher um so it'd be the same here rather than trying to be an expert outfielder no get someone who knows what they're doing in the outfield um so that because it's a thankless job sometimes coaching you there's so many things to do and you can't be you know especially at elite level you can't be the master of everything you have to just pick one area you want to focus on and get good at um Mm. and so i think it would be that that kind of focus uh um, because i think then i enjoy it more on the coaching point of view too because i am not judging myself as harshly yeah for sure like i think i sort of as a rule always want to be the dumbest person in the room yeah and i'm the most useless person in the room is how i think about it absolutely yeah, <laughs> yeah. and today, today i'm very much the dumbest person on the podcast no, which i really no, enjoy no. I um disagree. so <laughs> so i just think as a final question um you've both been here today listening to each other's answers um and i'm just curious based on what you've heard today what advice would you take from each other's coaching practice that you might incorporate going forward? Um, and we'll start with, uh, with Liam. Great question. Uh, my answer is yes. I have a long list. Um, the, yeah. the thing that, you know, what really stood out for me, uh, and, and I won't take it as advice, but I think it's a conversation I need to set up, set up with Rachel. It's, she, she talked about the, uh, the impact that the, the uh, development of the program has has had on the domestic athlete and how they've set their game mm. up. Uh, I think we're, we're both in similar situations where to to compete at the absolute highest level, uh, and I don't think this is a secret to anybody in the community, to, to compete at the highest level internationally, we need to rely on uh, citizens based around the world. Uh, that's certainly our situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've we've done a lot of things to try and bridge that gap between how how successful we have been internationally uh, with uh, that player that's graduating the under eighteen national team uh, mm. to try and reduce fall off and, and maximize potential and I think we've we've not done it to the to the level that that softball has done so I'm very interested to to pick Rachel's brain and and everyone involved in the GB setup to make sure that we're motivating uh, these domestic players as much as possible that so that they step up their game and consider the success of the program is an opportunity, which is quite evident that, that Rachel and softball have been able to do very well. Mm. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's really impressive to see um, just how far the program's come in, in such a relatively short space of time. Um, so, uh, Rachel, same question to you, just to round out the podcast. Um, the thing I really like about Liam is how, uh, he mentioned being really methodical and having a really... I think the strategy behind everything, and I think that's an area I'm always, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a quite an organized person, but having a strategy, having that method, I'd really like to to, to come and, and observe and watch um, the baseballs train and see what kind of fundamentals they're focusing on, how they organize their practices, kind of drills and things like that, because there's so much crossover between our sports. and. Um, and obviously, if, if we're just talking about fast pitch, there isn't much training going on all the time that I'm not involved in. So just being able to go and see something else and learn from that, because I think that um, that that methodical strategic planning from 
right from the little ones all the way through to the national side is something we are building on at the moment with the national coaches is we're trying to build that strategy that playbook as such that that gb way that i know that you talk an awful lot about and that is something that we want to do and i know you guys are already doing it so learning from that um i would be something you know having a look to see how you implement that right through the program um, from the elite level all the way through to the little ones so we're so that the curriculum as such is the same yeah for sure and like from my perspective i think uh, i would definitely really enjoy surrounding myself with smarter people as you've advertised uh rachel and also shutting up as liam as well, <laughs> well uh, put together those two things i've learned um and say thank you very much to rachel watkins from gb softball for joining us and liam carroll from gb baseball thank you very much and i hope to speak to you both again soon thank you for having thanks me. so much You can follow us on Twitter by searching for at BSUK. And if you're interested in playing our sports, simply go to our website, www.baseballsoftballuk.com forward slash play to find out more. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back in a month with episode 10.